Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us who we have been, who you are, and how our world could be changed. We pray that you would speak to us today, that you would open up our ears that we might hear you in new ways, open up our eyes that we might encounter you, and open up our lives that we could be changed. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks, and we pray that we would be a people who hear and respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, picture this. You walk into a large gathering of people, a party, an event, a celebration, and you look around and realize that you don't know anyone. Worse still, it's obvious that everyone else knows everyone else. Clearly, these are old friends. Clearly, they are close. And clearly, they have very little interest in outsiders like you. In other words, as you walk into this group, you figure out that you are a stranger. And I wonder, what does that do inside of you? What are you feeling? For the introverts among us, these are the situations that give us nightmares. Hold on to that for a minute. Here's another one. Something amazing happens in your life. Something really hard and terrible happens in your life. You get some news about something. You learn something wholly unbelievable. So obviously, you need to tell someone. And you look around and you find out that you are all alone. I mean, there's, there's people around, but they're all doing their own thing. You don't know who they are. They're all busy. And so quickly, I mean, you have to get this news. That's what we do with news. We have to get it out. So you, you get your phone, you send a text, they don't respond. You make a phone call, they don't pick up. You check social media and you find out everyone else is having all sorts of fun without you, but no one is there. In other words, you are all alone. You have become, in some ways, the stranger. What are you feeling? For the extroverts among us, this is the thing of nightmares. There's no one here to talk to. Hold on to that for a minute. One more. You just moved or you've been traveling and you find yourself among a people who are different from you. Their culture is different. Their country is different. Their community is different. And you are in the right, right in the middle of them and yet you are all alone. You are simply surrounded by a people who are different, people who don't act like you, people who don't talk like you, people who don't look like you, people who don't know you and who you don't know. You are a stranger. And how does that make you feel? What does it feel like when you are the stranger, when it feels like everyone else belongs and you don't, when it feels like everyone else is looking at you because they know you're different, when it feels like everyone else is an insider and you are the lone outsider? What do you think about? What do you feel? What do you do? I wonder if you know what it's like to be a stranger. While you think about that, let me remind you where we are and where we've gone so far. Last week, we began a new series exploring the idea of the stranger, 
Partly because this image of the stranger is all throughout the Bible and yet somehow very, very hidden. And partly because this is something that I think we all, and everyone else for that matter, are really bad with. And so last week we examined the idea that how we treat and even think about strangers says a lot about who we are and what we believe. In fact, in many ways, our treatment of strangers becomes a barometer of our beliefs. Because notice, if you believe the world is scary, you're going to treat strangers with fear and apprehension. If you believe that resources are scarce, it's going to be impossible to share with, let alone be generous to, a stranger. And yet, if you believe that God has loved us even when we were strangers, maybe, maybe we will be able to show kindness and even love to a stranger. And that's not to say that any of this is easy, because of course it's not. The stranger is the unknown. And yet that, that is also why our response to them can be so revealing. What's more, based on some feedback, I think last week messed with some of you, which is a good thing. Uh, this whole series has been messing with me for a long time now, so I'm just happy to share. Um, but, but therefore, it, it's also probably worth adding some clarity before we go too much farther. Last week, we talked about how we respond to a stranger knocking on our door. I think I gave kind of the hypothetical situation. There you are at home on a Thursday. Someone knocks on your door. It's a stranger and we reflected on our reactions and feelings. To be clear, I'm not saying you should just throw open the doors and open your arms to just anyone. I'm not saying that you should welcome or even trust any stranger. I'm not saying that there's no risk to encountering the stranger because of course there is. That's the whole point. But what I'm saying is that how we think, how we feel, and ultimately how we respond reveals something about not them, but us, which is why this is so important and insightful. In fact, one easy way to think about this in light of last week, as we remembered 9-11, is if you picture 21 years ago, on the day before 9-11, we thought something very, very different about strangers than we did on the day after 9-11. And the reason for this change is that our view of the world changed. On 9-10, on the day before 9-11, people were more trustworthy. Planes and buildings and our world were simply more stable and safe and secure. And therefore, we treated strangers one way. On 9-12, on the day after 9-11, things were much more scary, much more uncertain. And therefore, we treated the stranger with much more apprehension, much more fear, much more anger. But you'll notice the strangers didn't change. We did. Our view of the world Changed. Our beliefs changed, and thus how we think about and respond to the stranger was different. That was last week. As we looked at our response to the stranger, this week we're going to look at the other side of the equation. What does it mean for us to be and feel like the stranger? 
If our treatment of strangers is a barometer for our beliefs, then becoming a stranger may give us a new lens through which we can see ourselves and our world more clearly. And so with that, let us turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, Exodus 2, verse 11. While you're turning there, I will let you know that we're going to be coming to the story of Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt, uh, and he grew up in some ways a stranger. The Israelite, to the Israelites, he was a stranger raised in Pharaoh's court. To the Egyptians, he was a stranger who didn't quite belong. I mean, like a kid who was found in a, in a river, and they just brought him in. So he doesn't quite fit in. Let's read what happens. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Amen. Okay, as our passage begins, we find Moses not fitting in. The Israelites see him as a, a traitor. The Egyptians see him now as a criminal, and so he's forced to flee. He heads to Midian, a land he's never been, a land where he's unknown, a land where he is a stranger. So if you are keeping score right now, Moses is a stranger among the Israelites, he's a stranger among the Egyptians, and he's a stranger among the Midianites. And his reactions to being a stranger are helpful. He runs away, he's afraid, and he hides. Anyway, while he's out there in the wilderness, all alone, he comes upon some damsels in distress, and they are being harried by some shepherd bullies. It sounds like this is something that happens every single day, but this day, Moses steps in, steps up, and helps. And soon he's welcomed in by the girl's father, Jethro. Fast forward the story a little bit. Hopefully, Moses finds himself married, uh, and when they're having a child, they're naming him Gershom, which means I have become a foreigner in a foreign land, or less poetically and yet just as accurately, I have become a stranger in a foreign land, which to be fair is a terrible thing to name a child, but that being said, insightful nonetheless. In fact, it actually helps us a little bit to start to define what it is that we're talking about when we talk about strangers. In the Hebrew, the word stranger is the Hebrew word ger. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. It's been a long time since I've studied Hebrew, but that's basically the sound. It's where we get the name ger, shom, a stranger there. That word ger can also be defined as a sojourner, as a foreigner as a traveler, as a resident alien, and of course, as a stranger. It's someone who ain't from around here. And let's recognize that we all know what it feels like to be that one, the one who ain't from around here, who doesn't quite fit in, who has become the stranger. Which finally brings us back to our topic for today. Because I want us to continue to recognize the ways in which we have been, and sometimes still are, strangers. As we see how maybe that shapes us. More particularly, I want us to see how our experience of being a stranger gives us a lens through which we become more aware of our needs, more aware of the needs of others, and even more aware of God. But it all starts in those moments in which we have, for whatever reason, become the stranger. And so we begin by seeing how being a stranger may help us see our own needs. 
As our passage begins, Moses steps out, for better and for worse, tries to right a wrong that was happening. In the process, he ends up being separated from community and becomes a stranger. And yet, when he becomes a stranger, he's finally able to recognize reality differently. He sees what's really important. He does the right thing even when it's hard. He becomes humble enough to learn and even to hear. And in the process, he finds his identity and his community and his calling. And I think this happens because he became a stranger. Which begs the question, is it important for us at times to be a stranger so that we can see things we couldn't see before when we were, of course, in community? Because, of course, if I'm in community, if I feel the fullness of community, then I have kind of a, a buffer then I have support, then I don't have to ask hard questions, then I don't have to look at those people out there because I'm part of this people in here. I'm receiving more than enough from the people that are right here, my community, and so I don't have to care about, well, anyone else. And yet in those moments where I feel like I'm a stranger, that I'm alone, that I'm without, that I'm vulnerable, in those moments, I become more aware of what I need. I come to understand what I'm missing more acutely. If at the time I'm lost, I, I know I need to be found. If at the time I'm without or I'm lacking, I know I need some kind of provision. If, if I'm alone or estranged, I know I need community again. You see, sometimes it's only as we get taken out of our comfort and community that we become able to more fully understand ourselves and our own needs, even if that also comes at the cost of feeling more separated, lost, and alone. Frankly, for many people, isn't that really the story of, I don't know, junior high, senior high, college, and, well, the a lot of the rest of life. We want to figure out who we are. We want to try new things. So we push ourselves away from everyone else. And then we struggle to find ourselves outside of community that we thought we didn't need. And yet, when we're out there, we then find how much we long to be known and long to belong and long to fit in. And we struggle with just what does that look like for us? And we have to kind of do that weird, awkward dance. How has God made me distinct? Who am I? What's important to me? What's important in life? And yet at the same time, these questions inevitably lead us outside of community and yet also kind of push us back in. They lead us out in that they make us more vulnerable. If you're asking those questions, you are more vulnerable. And at the same time, you recognize our need to be found, our need to be known, our need to be chosen, our need to be loved. In some ways, it's only when we're outside of community that we really recognize the importance of community. But it's not just about us. Because notice, in becoming a stranger, Moses also becomes more acutely aware of the needs of others. It's interesting to me that as our passage opens, Moses is sort of living in limbo. He knows that he's an Israelite, and he's also very comfortable being an Egyptian. 
Prior to this passage, Moses could simply lose himself in the royalty of Egypt or renounce all of that and move toward his people. But the easiest thing to do, the safest thing to do, is simply not decide, to do nothing, just sit on the fence. And then he doesn't have to see or care about anyone else. It's easier to not become a stranger. Even though he doesn't really belong as an Egyptian, he doesn't really belong as an Israelite, at the moment he's kind of in between, so he doesn't have to care about anything beyond himself. And yet, the further he goes and the more he becomes a stranger, the more he becomes aware of others, the more he learns about their troubles, the more he cares about those who are also without, those who are also alone, those who also are vulnerable, those who also are suffering. What's more, from this place, Moses is then found, brought in, welcomed. And so he knows what it's like to be rescued, which may also help make him into the person who can partner with God in then rescuing others. In fact, in many ways, throughout this passage, we see Moses grow in empathy and to be fair, he's empathetic at the beginning of our passage, too, when he sees someone suffering and steps in to help. But as we fast forward the story of Moses, we find him having compassion for a whole people's plight in a way that he didn't when he was in the Egyptian court. I wonder how this story, and specifically the experience of being a stranger, prepares him to lead his people, back in the community. In other words, I wonder if not just the burning bush is the catalyst for changing Moses, I wonder if those moments in the wilderness are as well. Those moments when he's alone, those moments when he's a stranger. Is that what actually gives him the strength and the willingness to engage with the Israelites and bring them home. Quite frankly, what's interesting is that the Israelites go on much the same journey that Moses goes on. They are strangers in Egypt. They will be strangers in Midian and the wilderness, and then they will be strangers in Canaan. In other words, they will experience all that Moses experiences. They have been estranged, but God will call them back. They have been separated, but God will save them. They have been outsiders, and they will be welcomed in again. And Moses maybe can lead them because he's been there too. Maybe this is why God chooses Moses for this particular mission. I wonder how our experience, our own personal experiences of being a stranger has the potential and the power to make us more aware of what it's like for others. I wonder if sometimes it's a helpful state for us to be in, and it's an uncomfortable state, don't get me wrong, but I wonder if sometimes that uncomfort allows us, this discomfort allows us to see others better. 
maybe more than that, I wonder if sometimes we don't hear the call because we are simply not willing to be strangers any longer. I don't have to be a stranger. But I wonder, are we not challenged sometimes because we won't? Because we avoid being the stranger. And therefore, have we lost some of our empathy? Which brings us at last to how our being a stranger maybe sometimes makes us more aware of God. In our passage, I'm struck by how Moses is still a stranger in Midian in the wilderness as he comes upon the burning bush and as God calls him out. I wonder if that is what helps him be more aware of God's presence. Because, of course, maybe it's due to his vulnerability and loneliness that he is looking for and open to and aware of God's nearness. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't hear it. Sometimes we aren't aware that God is there because there's too much other stuff. And yet maybe it's because and when he is a stranger that he's able to see God. Because he doesn't have anyone else and anything else to lean on. And as he draws near, God warns Moses, take off your shoes because even here you are on holy ground and you don't quite belong which is why Moses then hides his face and is afraid. And yet it's from this place that God then gives him a mission. Even as Moses feels unready and underprepared, it's from this place that God places a calling on his life. Go, I am sending you. And then God tells Moses what all strangers long to hear. And I will be with you. Because, of course, that's what makes us no longer strangers. Because God is with us, we are no longer alone. We are no longer outside. We are no longer unworthy. Because God is with us, we are no longer only strangers. Again, I'm left asking, are there times when it is okay for us, briefly, to be strangers? Because sometimes it's only in this need that we then can be changed. I wonder if we are supposed to be strangers sometimes. I wonder if that's how we learn more empathy. I wonder if that's how we learn to look for God and rely upon God more. I wonder if that sometimes is how God does His work in us. Because when we become strangers, we become acutely aware of how God is the only one who can satisfy the deeper needs of our lives. And the only way that we can become more able and willing to hear God's calling on our life is if we are in that place. God shows up in the burning bush and points Moses back toward his people to help them, to rescue them, to save them, not just from save slavery, but from being strangers. And in the process, God rescues Moses as well. Let's pray.
Lord God, we all know what it's like to feel like we don't belong, to feel like we are not known, to feel like we are unwelcomed. Lord, we know that feeling of, of being different, and it doesn't sit well with us. It's hard. And yet maybe even in those moments, at times, you teach us, you help us, and you change us. Maybe it's even as we reflect on those moments that we recognize what it is we actually need and how important community actually is. Maybe it's in those moments that we can finally hear you saying, I am with you. And maybe that's how we're changed. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us alone, but that you are a God who comes near. We thank you for your presence even today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.